Welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 98. I'm going to keep this one a little bit short. These are things, I'm just sort of panning out some of notes that I've had as I've read through the Bible in recent time. I regret the fact that I have neglected making episodes out of them because they sit, I make notes real quick because sometimes I only have time to read a chapter or two and then I need to bolt off somewhere to go to work or tend to something with the kids or something like that. And I'll write down notes of stuff that is really fascinating that I I find that I see for the first time again. And this is out of John 12, and I'm going to touch it for a little tiny snippet out of uh, the book of Revelation. But for context, Jesus is, this is six, so six days before the Passover, Jesus was nailed to a cross on the Passover. So this is, if you, from that day, if you back up six days, Jesus has stopped. He's walking toward Jerusalem, but nobody really seems to know that yet. He's kind of keeping that to himself. But anyway, he goes to Bethany where Lazarus and his family live. And Lazarus is a man that Jesus raised from the grave previously. So Jesus stops for the day in Bethany and winds up teaching there. And a lot of these, uh, there's a group of Judeans that are, there's a lot of people that want Jesus dead. There is basically a price on his head, but nobody can touch him because it's not his appointed time yet. They realize that Like the chief priests that are there, they get pretty mad at Jesus in Bethany because they said that Jesus was teaching and people were leaving Jerusalem to come listen to him and basically walking away from the temple and following Jesus. And that was making the chief priests very mad. So they were looking not only to kill Jesus, but now they're looking to kill Lazarus. This is right at the tail end because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And it's definitely miraculous. And Lazarus was alive to talk about it. So were his sisters. And they're in the town where Lazarus is from now, like where he lives. So I'm sure that there's this cacophony of activity of people who have fled out of, you know, flooded out of Jerusalem. Jesus is there. Lazarus is there. This is a unique time. They find out that Jesus is going the next day to Jerusalem, and it's what's called the triumphal entry. It's Jesus is going into Jerusalem. This is the end of his ministry. He's just a few days away from being nailed to a cross and dying for the sins of everybody in this world, and also to rectify a lot of things that took place in Genesis and the consequent things that resulted from uh, the angelic intervention into our realm that should never have happened. So I'm going to read from chapter 12 in verse 29. Jesus has been teaching... Uh, Well, here, I'll just say this. I'll just start at 27. Now, my soul is greatly distressed, and what should I say? This is Jesus. Father, deliver me from from this hour? No. But for this very reason, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Like, Jesus knows he's going to go to the stress and the burden of carrying sin and rectifying, like, with evil turned loose. All eyes pointed to Jesus. Jesus is saying, fine, I'm going to bear all this so that people don't have to bear it. Then a voice came from heaven, and this voice says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Like the the name of, of Yahweh, God's name. The crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it had thundered. I'm going to say it's obviously very loud. Nobody missed it. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice has not come for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. 
and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all, all people to myself. Now he said this to indicate clearly what kind of a death he was going to die. So this has all been a bit of a mystery for everybody else, but Jesus has known from the beginning how this is playing out. The weird part is, for me, so this, you get this booming voice that, that says that God's name will be glorified. And then Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Well, it's, it's, it's an unusual statement because Jesus repeatedly said he had not come to judge the world, that that was a yet future thing. But now it's shifting. I'm not saying it's necessarily, it's something other than what is traditionally taught. Maybe this is just, you know, I understand he did come and judge some things. He was judging the temple leadership. He was, he openly, the minute he was, he was identified who he was, he went straight for the underworld, which is why he stayed up north. He was around Mount Hermon. He was around uh, Caesarea Philippi. He was in Capernaum. He was on the temple leadership, the infection of the angelic, the fallen angels, that the debauchery, not the wickedness and the evil that they had bred and that had steeped into uh, the the temple, the culture, everything. Jesus was there to declare war on that, and he wasted no time doing it. And he was very clear about doing it, basically calling out the entire underworld to meet him for a showdown that he was going to unseat them. But this is a weird phrase. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Driven out. So he's driving the ruler of this world out. That is a strange phrase. I think I did an episode on this. So there's a point in the book of Revelation where, where Satan is just kicked out. That's it. And he's cast to the earth. This is just a weird thing. I'm saying this because there's so many things that have been ingrained in our churches and stuff. This is the way it is. We don't ask questions. We don't reconsider something. I just think it's a terrible approach. And I, I can't turn it off in me. I am continually reevaluating what I believe. And did I get this right or do I understand it correctly? Anyway, so Jesus is saying that now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Well, that's Satan. That's who he's talking about because it's context from other passages. You're welcome to go look at that. It's not like you need my blessing to do that. When I am lifted up from the earth, this is Jesus again, I will draw all people to myself. This is a this is quite a picture. So he's going to drive Satan away and he's going to draw all people unto himself. Now, call, now tell me that doesn't sound like if you're a person who believes in a rapture and a I don't know how to phrase it. I'm just saying I th- I don't think we've necessarily thought this out completely. I think we have the bias and perception of trying to keep the tires in the same tracks all the time because that's what our denomination or that's what our raising was or something like that. And I'm not saying we need some kind of ever-changing theology, but I am saying that we are not as smart as we think we are. We're a hell of a lot easier to deceive than we admit we are a lot more arrogant than we should be. And a lot of times we're dumb as a bag of hammers. And we know 1% of what we actually think we know. We're looking at the tip of the iceberg and we don't even realize it's an iceberg. We think it's an ice cube sitting on the ground. And there's a whole lot to it. And I'm, I mean, I've been just as guilty of it in my past. And I'm not pointing a finger at somebody. I'm just saying we have to guard against that if we want to maintain some type of objective perspective and say, Yes, we have revisited this angle and we found this, this faulty 
but we've also examined this and we're good to stay right where we were because we believe this is founded in the best contextual evidence we can find in the text. When I see Jesus saying, I will draw all people to myself, that's a, that's a very uh, catch-all phrase. I will draw all people to myself. The only time I know that that kind of happens is either during the millennial reign of Christ or the time after it. I have posited in several episodes in this that what if we have it wrong and what if we are living in the time after the millennial reign of Christ? What if, you know, Jesus had made a, a, a kind of a weird statement that there are many of you sitting here today, what, not, this is Jesus talking to, to people that, that he was addressing, that there are people here today who will watch the kingdom of God come in. And I've heard a thousand different ways of arguing this and what it means very dogmatically through my run in seminary. And even people that disagree, they're still dogmatic that they are the ones that have it absolutely right. But it does just keep drawing me back into why would Jesus say that you are going to see the ushering into the kingdom of God, some of you sitting here today? If it's thousands of years later, let's just take the narrative that we live in right now. Why would Jesus say that? And I understand when people say, well, it, Jesus is the kingdom of God. Well, then they have already seen it. Like they don't need what Jesus told them. It, it, it's actually, it, it's stupid. It's like saying, some of you sitting here today will see me in person. Like that's how nonsensical that is. I think that there is something that Jesus is saying that he's ushering something in. Now, it may not be the millennial reign. It may just be a change in the spiritual world, like the Holy Spirit entering people. Anyway, this could go on a theological rabbit chase for two hours, and I don't have the energy for that right now. I want to go back to where I'm, I'm at right now. I'm just saying that, that this phrase, now is the judgment of this world, which precedes the millennial reign of Christ. I will draw, oh, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Again, this is something that is of the scale of the millennial reign of Christ or the final, I guess the final before Jesus creates a new heaven and new earth for his followers. It only fits in those two times for me. So it suggests to me that this is something that we may be dealing with here right now. And Jesus may be telling them the millennial reign of Christ starts maybe when Jesus was resurrected the millennial reign of Christ started. I don't know. I'm just saying it is entirely possible to alter what we know about history because how do I know what I know about history? I know it because I've been told it. This probably is not a very solid thing. It's just something I'm, I'm just saying. These are weird things. It doesn't necessarily jibe with the what I thought were very well-founded arguments that I have heard all my life, plus different ones that I heard through seminary. So here, this is the first four verses of, of Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the abyss and a huge chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and tied him up for a thousand years. So this would be for the period during the thousand years that Jesus reigns. The millennial reign of Christ as it's known like within the churches. The angel then threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it so that he could not deceive the nations until the 1,000 years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a brief period of time. There's a 1,000-year period. And I'm just saying that 
based on what I have observed for much of my life, and definitely what more people are now digging up, I would say it's entirely possible that our history, at least like in what we perceive to be the last 1,500 years, has been it has been greatly altered. And in fact, some of it may not even exist. Like there may be a thousand years inserted into the timeline to distance things, to create a false historical story, basically to undo, to make Jesus look like, like something's wrong. Like eventually people would connect the dots and the story wouldn't fit. And if you're inserting time into the timeline, if you're making up events, if you're making up empires, if you're making up narratives about empires that didn't even freaking exist, and then when you when people find historical evidence that contradicts that, you call them crazy. This is what it does make me wonder. But then, like in, in 20, if you just keep going in verse 5, or verse, uh, verse 5 and then just a little bit of verse 6, it says that after these things, he must be released for a brief period of time. That's the end of, of verse 3, 20 verse 3. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who had been given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These had not worshipped the beast or his image and had refused to receive his mark on their forehead or hand. Now, I understand the whole left behind imagery pops into your head. I want you to stop and think for a moment how hard, if you are in the Christian churches, you think about how hard you have been conditioned to see a certain image when you think of all of this. Consider what you have been taught. Consider it. I'm not saying it's false. I'm just saying, weigh it out. These did not worship the beast or his image and refused to receive the mark on their forehead or hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So there's a first resurrection. What if that took place at some point prior to where we are now? Like, I know, and that is such a hostile idea for most people in modern Christianity. To even entertain it, entertainment. I'm not saying it's even right. I'm not even saying there's a solid argument for it. But it's a hard one to present to somebody and say, this is a hard one to even have a discussion about because people don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, what if we are? You know, what if Jesus saying that he is going to run out, he's going to drive out the ruler or prince of the world, and he's judging the world? And that he will draw all people unto himself. That sounds to me like it could very well be something that is the the ushering in of a millennial reign of the millennial reign of Jesus, with a resurrection of those who were martyred for his cause, for him, for following him. I, I don't know. Because if the ruler is driven out, then where did Satan go? Into an abyss where he was bound for a thousand years. I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting too tired and I'm getting too hungry. That's just something to throw out there. And again, don't base your, your faith on something that I've said in, in this. I'm just spitting out words because I, I want to spur on dialogue. I want to spur on openness and discussion. And I'm, I don't really hold a dogmatic position on much, except that Jesus loves you. And I know that for a fact because he found a way to love me. 
I'm going to leave that at that. So this was probably not the most productive episode, but perhaps it spurs discussion around a coffee table at some point with somebody. And I hope that you have a, uh, a good rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next one.